the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today is the second week of our series, Faction. We're going to be taking it step by step through the book of James. I just want to let you guys know. So we have a couple of these if you want them. They're five pounds. You want to save three pence, you can go get them on Amazon for 3p cheaper. It's like the book of James and it's got spaces for you to do your notes opposite. And we're going to be going through the book. You've only missed the first week of a five-week series, so it's not going to like mess you up too much. So today, chapter two, I'm just going to read to us my... Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes come in also, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, sit here in the good place, or you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich ones who oppress are the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called if you really fulfill the law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well but if you show partiality you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for the one who keeps the whole law but fails in one point also becomes accountable for all of it but he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you commit adultery, but do not commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm going to read on a little while later. So I was reading that and I was thinking about this this week and one of the things that came out to me is I thought, wow, this is incredible. This has been written like 2,000 years ago, give or take 40, 50 years, maybe 60. And actually we haven't moved past this. We haven't moved past this in any way, shape or form. And, And here's why I say it. So generally what you have in society is people engage with those who are like themselves, especially when it comes to class. Like, and you'll hear it on the news, you'll hear about it talking about people aren't moving between classes anymore. Like the gap from like the poor to getting to middle class, like the movement now is so, 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 so small. It's become stagnant. And then those who are middle class, moving up to upper middle class, I guess, because the idea of rich now is so far, far removed, unless you become like an entrepreneur that absolutely smashes it, you know, and, and sells whatever you made on to someone else. Generally speaking, there's not really any traction or movement there. You know what's really weird is that actually, I read an article a couple of years ago, I think it was in Wired Magazine, it was talking about business, and it was talking about how there were guys who were earning like roughly about 100,000 pounds a year, and they wouldn't deem themselves in the bracket of being rich. 
And I remember reading that at the time, and I was like, what? That for me, straight away, 100K a year, I'd be like, yes, Lord, hallelujah, I'm rich. I'm finally out of the situation, the bracket I've been in my whole life down here. That would be amazing. And I was thinking, wow. And then I carried on reading, and then it said why they didn't feel like they were rich. It was because they actually hang around the people who are rich. And so they, on 100K, 100K, 200K, are looking and they're like, I am not rich. I am rubbing shoulders with people who have crazy, crazy pee, who are earning a million plus a year. So they see them as rich, and then there's me who's going like, no, 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 trust me, bruv, you're, you're rich, fam. I can, I can promise you, I can promise you. Just take my word for it. And so it feels all kind of relative, but what you notice is, you notice that the, the social gatherings that everyone finds themselves in are generally similar kind of bands. I don't know, has anyone noticed that? The only time where you're trying to, you can transcend that is sometimes you can, in church, find that. Because that's the great thing about church, is church is ecclesia, people called out together for a purpose. So you end up being called together in a way where you would never hang out with the people that you hang out with necessarily, you know what I mean? I mean, I love hanging out with all you guys. I don't have any, any grievances. I'm just saying, like, sometimes you get pulled along and you're like, wow, this is crazy. I've got this family that I, I maybe never would have chosen, I never would have necessarily connected with, but we're kind of connected. But generally speaking, we stay in this one band. And so when we stay in this one band and there's no traction, and there's no movement between the two, you start to realize, well, actually, how does this ever get solved? I've said the quote so many times, I still love the quote, and I have to say it again and again and again, because it's one of the greatest quotes of all time when it comes to poverty, and it's Nelson Mandela who said, poverty is created by the actions of men and can be solved by the actions of men. Like, we can solve this real quick. There are eight men who can fit in one golf buggy that have 40% of the world's wealth. They can solve problems for entire nations, but they don't. And here's the thing, the question is, of you and I, is if we were ever in that position, would we actually be any different? Do we know we'd be any different? If God ever positions you in a position where the money's there, it's yours, how are you gonna act with it? How am I gonna act with it? It's something we have to think about. If you haven't read it, if you're a guest here today and you fill out one of the connect cards we have on the table, saying we're so glad you're here, um, you'll get a copy of this book. Um, it's about Shema. It's a Hebrew word which means to hear, and actually it's what James has referenced when he says about loving your neighbor. It's the greatest command in the whole of the Bible. It says, here, Shema, here, O Israel, love, the Lord your God is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body, with your soul. And then it goes on to talk about some other things. So as Christians, we kind of stop there. What I kind of talk about in that book and what the passage talks about afterwards is actually the rhythm of it. It says every morning, every day, you get up, you make it your first conversation in the morning, you make it the last thing you talk about at night. When you leave your house, the Shema is written on your door as you leave and as you come back to your house at the end of the day, it's written on the gate there and it talks about these visual aids that they used to wear to remind themselves because every day was a, was a, was a pursuit of the greatest command, knowing that I love God through loving those around me, loving God through loving my neighbor who gets put in front of me. So who, the question I've asked to Jesus is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, when we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We're not actually asking Jesus to tell us who our neighbor is. We're saying to Jesus and who that, what that young man was saying and how you and I kind of say it when we ask that question is we're saying to God, who is it I don't have to love? Who can I avoid? Like, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to take ownership of? That's the, that's the sin behind this question. You see, we talk about partiality and being impartial and partial. And he talks about here, evil thoughts. Like, forget Rihanna's wild, wild, wild thoughts. As soon as it's like, who is my neighbor? You've just had the sickest, most 
perverted and twisted thoughts ever. You're like, well, who do I not have to love? Who can I avoid? Who can I duck out on? Then Jesus tells a story and he says, well, there's a man who's going on a journey. And as he was going along the road to where he was going, some robbers came, smacked him up, left him for half dead, beaten and broken on the side of the road. And then he sees these three different religious leaders come in and he's like, oh, they're going to, and then they carry on their way. They don't want to, they don't want to be a neighbor. They see this man there, maybe it's class, maybe it's riches, maybe it's whatever. For whatever reason, the men go the other side and, and they go away. And then the last guy comes along and it's, it's the Samaritan. And the Samaritan comes over, he bandages up his wound, wounds, he, he puts him on the animal, on his, on his, on his, on his, on his donkey, and he, he takes him away and then he takes him to an innkeeper and he says, here's the money to look after until he gets better. I don't, if there's any more expense that comes your way, I'm coming back this way and I will pay whatever extra needs to be paid to look after this man. Then Jesus turns to this young guy and he says, well, hey, who, who was the neighbor in the story? He asked him that question. So he tells the story. The story was one thing. The biggest thing Jesus wants to get across is, is the question. Who was the neighbor in the story? And the guy cannot say his name. The response Jesus gets is, the one who showed him mercy. There was such racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jew that this Jewish man wouldn't say the Samaritan. He'd have been going, the He had to go, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't say his name. Maybe there are people in our lives that maybe we can't say the name of. Maybe there are people that have caused us such hurt. Maybe there are people that we have ideas about, preconceived reactions to, that actually when we talk about that people group, we're like, oh no, step back. Not them. Not that type of person. Maybe there are types of people that we can't even say their name. Maybe there are people that have hurt us. Maybe they may be from a particular race, particular background, particular nationality, and it just causes this thing. And then Jesus says, who was the neighbor? And he says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and be like him. One of the things I find really interesting is actually, as a society, when someone does something wrong, we want to push them out. I was reading an amazing article recently uh, by, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like a, I think a sociologist, and he was, he'd been studying people's behaviors and patterns. And he said that the experiment we've gone on for years and years and years about drug addiction is completely wrong. He said that what we do is we stick a rat and we monitor it and it has the option of water and water laced with like a hardcore drug. And the rat always chooses the water with the drug in it. And he said, this isn't, this isn't an accurate reflection of actually addicts' lives. This isn't, this isn't an accurate portrayal. So what he did was he said they created a second experiment where they created this amazing set of rat cages that all interlinked, other rats were living there and stuff like that all over the place, loads of fun things to do. And then the choice was still the water and the water laced with a highly addictive drug. And the interesting thing was when they studied these rats, when they had the options of more to do than just one water and the other and in complete isolation, they didn't choose the drugs. Time and time again, they would choose to have the normal water and they would choose to interact with one another. And yet as a society, when we have someone who's an addict, we all, we all step back and they're left in isolation. They go, that's what addicts do. 
They make the same decision again and again and again. They go round and round and round on this roundabout. And actually one of the key things they need to break that cycle is they actually need a few people in the circle with them. But actually that's not just applying to addicts, that applies to every single person in all situations, in all sin, and in all space. But what we want to do is, is like this guy in this story, is you want to get the rich guy with the gold ring and we go, oh, oh, have this chair here, have this chair here. I'm so sorry. I mean, there's loads of chairs today. But there's no room, bro. You're going to have to, you have to scoot here. Like there's, there's, there's levels to this. And one day you'll be like a, I don't know, a wizard with a plus three sword or something and you can have a seat. But right now you're, you're down here. And then sometimes we can do this thing and then what we do is we perpetuate a situation and so often we don't create space for people. You know, last night I, was, I went out for a couple of drinks with uh, someone who means a lot to me. I, like, I knew I had church the next day, so I didn't want to like, they wanted me to go Camden, they wanted me to go full out, Raven, I was like, man, I'm getting too old for this stuff, man. I can't, I'm 34, I don't want to go out till three in the morning in Camden with like flashing lights, glow sticks and whatever. I'm like, I'm done, man, I've got kids. But I went for a beer, and you know what's so crazy? I'm waiting for them at the train station because they are so late to turn up. I'm like, where, where are you guys? Where are you guys? Oh, we're already here. I'm like, what do you mean you're already here? You told me to come to the station. I turn around the corner. Do you know what they've done? Oh, my days. So because I do this, one of them's dressed up in a full Catholic priest outfit. <laughs> and the other guy, and these guys are hench. The other guy is dressed as a nun with a skirt like this, stockings, the whole shebang. And they're running at me, trying to kiss me. The priest has guy liner on and all this stuff. And then the other guy who's dressed sensibly and we get to the pub and they're like, what the heck's happening? And then they're like, oh, he runs a church. So and then she's like, ah. I'm like, ah. you know what I mean? And then the other guy who's dressed sensibly he goes to me this question. He goes like, hey man, if you didn't have commitments, if you didn't have to do tomorrow, if you didn't have your kids or whatever, stuff like that, he goes, or on another time, would you actually come out with us if we were dressed like this? And I was like, yeah, of course I would. Why wouldn't I? And he looked at me and he was like, oh, Oh, well played, man, that's, that's cool. Just thought I'd ask. One of the key things you and I are gonna find in life is that actually so often people have these preconceived ideas that because you believe in Jesus, like there's gonna be like these, these, these barriers, you're gonna push people away or whatever. You don't have to, you don't have to sign up. I'm not gonna wear the nun's outfit and lace, lacing and stockings and go out. I'm not gonna do the guy liner. That's not, maybe I will, I don't know. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna do the guy liner, but I'll come out, I'll have a good time. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's a small thing, that's a minor thing. That's, a, that's something that doesn't, that doesn't matter. But so often you and I will put these boundaries up. Where's it gonna be? Is impartiality always gonna be just about money? Is impartiality, can it sometimes be? Hey, it could be about race, can't it? One of my good friends, a guy called James, he told me he's from Barbados, that when he was five years of age, he was going to church and that and the white minister there told him he was going to hell because he was black. Told a small child that, felt the need. Passing by, that's what you need to know. James isn't going to hell. The great thing about James is he's not going to heaven because he's black and he's not going to heaven even because of the content of his character. He's going there because of the content of the character of Jesus. And the content of the character of Jesus is that he calls you and I to be impartial, regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of, can I say, even, even sexuality. Can I say, can we create spaces where we meet people? Like, you know what, I hear a lot of Christians that are like refusing to call people by certain pronouns. I'm like, man, is it that deep? Is it that hard to just, just reach out and say something nice for someone? Is it that deep to, 
It's like the Samaritan scenario. You just can't say Samaritan. You can't say Samaritan. You know what? This week I was doing a filming thing for like a thing where they wanted all different views for millennials on like sex, sexuality and stuff. And I'm sitting around a table with like atheists, with a couple of guys um, who, who are trans and some other people. And we're talking about sex, talking about all different things. At the end of it, one of the cool trans guy called Elliot, really nice, really nice lad, comes up to me. And he wants to talk to me about church and stuff. And he's like, would I be welcome at your church? I was like, of course you would. Any time you want to come, you just come to my church. You are welcome there anytime. He's like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I would love to meet out with you and chat. Wait, here's my card. When I gave him my card, he freaked out. Your card? Your card? He didn't think that as a, as a church leader, I would give him my card. Like, I'd be like, yeah, 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 I want to meet up with you, but I'm not going to make it happen in any way. Let's meet up in the spirit. Somehow, we're going to turn up at the coffee shop at the same time. I'm here's my card. He goes, can I hug you? I was like, of course you can hug me. So I just gave this guy his big hug. He was like, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. He may never come here. He may never come here, but he knows he can. He knows he can. You see, with James, people will go like, oh, no, but, but it's talking about wealth. It's talking about wealth. Like, God isn't... Like, there's no other issues in impartiality. You know, I could have preached about this and just stuck with, like, my friend James and talked about that back then because we're comfortable with it. But at the time that that conversation happened, when he was told that as a child, if I'd come along and preached this saying we need to be impartial and we can't be doing this with race, there'd have been people that would have disagreed with me and gone, but the text is talking about money, the poor and the rich. No. No, that's not what he's talking about because James is talking about an issue in a particular church that he's seeing, but he quotes from the scriptures in Deuteronomy, which says, your neighbor, and your neighbor is never defined. Your neighbor is the person placed in front of you at any given moment in time, and God calls you to love that person and to not show partiality. Verse 14, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Man, there's a lot of dead faith going around, apparently. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. I tell you, man, there's something powerful about the choices you make, the decisions that you do. I said it last week about football, that when managers believe in a certain methodology, the players play a certain way on the pitch. You'll never be able to look at a manager and go like, he would say you, believe, you do one touch, two touch football. You couldn't look at Jurgen Klopp's team and say they don't believe in pressing the player on the ball. They press the player on the ball. You couldn't say they don't believe in working hard without the ball. Like, sometimes Christians have this idea, like we work hard with something when we're like at church. Like, if you do that, you're gonna get banged up in a game of football. You can't be like, have the ball as long as you want. I will play hard when I have it. You'll lose, like 30, 40 nil. It's like that in the Christian life. It's like, oh, I'm in church, so I'm really going to connect with God's spirit. I'm going to, whoop, whoop, yeah, cool. It's like blowing God kisses. But yet when you step into the, onto the pitch, everyday life, step out that door, you go straight out on mission. You go in your workplace, go with your friends, go with your family, go in your community. That's when you get these amazing opportunities, amazing opportunities to step out and show someone your faith, not because you stand on a preach, throwing tracks at people, but because you want to step out and back it. You want to live it. You believe that God is one. You do well. This is once again, you're still banging on about Deuteronomy. You're still banging on about the Shema. The Lord your God is one. Even demons believe and shudder. It's like the demons know that God's one. Demons, devils, Satan, they all believe that thing. 
what it comes down to is true belief, it's a verb, it's a doing word. You action it, it steps out in emotion, it takes a whole life of its own. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from faith, faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. He takes Abraham, someone so sacred, someone so revered in their community to make the point. And the scripture is fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Here we go. He's going to step up a level. He's going to slap some people up. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. My prayer for us is that actually this week our, work, our faith will not be dead, but that we'll take opportunities to love a neighbour. We'll take opportunities to be impartial. We'll take opportunities to step out into someone else's world, to someone else's life, and just do something significant for them. Love someone significantly. Not choosing to love someone in a way that's convenient. Not choosing to love someone in a way that makes you comfortable. Not choosing to love someone in a way that makes me comfortable. But stepping out and being willing to love someone exactly where they are. Exactly where they are. Because I want to give you the biggest illustration I can. When Jesus stepped out to love me, personally I wasn't I haven't been in a lovable state many times in my life I've been in a terrible state many many a time yet when he died on the cross he took my sin it wasn't when Andy was okay it wasn't when Andy was good to be around it wasn't when Andy was good company it wasn't when Andy was a good person I'm still not a good person but he came yet while we were sinners Christ loved us and yet he died for us he calls you and I to lay down our own lives into someone else's world in that same way because that's why he calls us to follow him. I'm going to pray for us and then that'll be it for week two for today. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that there isn't a person in this world, not just alive today, but in the past or will be alive in the future, that you didn't step into their world, giving all that you are with all integrity, without being impartial, with love, with grace, calling them home, calling them to be like you, calling them to be a part of this great work that you're doing. Father, I thank you that you saved us but we are saved for good works. We are not saved by our works. We're saved by the content of your character, the actions that you have done. But Lord, would you, as you save us, use us to just love those around us, right in front of us, the neighbor. We don't have to go to Timbuktu to find someone to love. They're right in front of us in the office. When we're out and about in the town with our family, with our friends, with our communities. Bring people our way, Lord God, and help us to love them, Lord and help them see our faith through our actions. That we won't ever have to talk to someone about a gospel that's so disconnected it doesn't make any sense. But they'll be made real by the way that we treat one another. May our faith find action. May our faith find facts and become real and anchored in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.